0: Well, we are journeying our way through the Bible. We have made it to the New Testament. We uh, went through the Sermon on the Mount last week. And today's sermon I have titled, Follow Me. Jesus is calling people. We're not going to go through Him calling all His disciples. But Jesus is making a call to all people to be His disciples. Jesus is calling all people to follow Him. And so we're going to kind of be looking at that call this morning. Before we get started, let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you that you have called us. Father, we thank you that you have extended an invitation to us to, to follow you and to, and to be in your family, to be a part of your family forever, uh, and I, an invitation to be forgiven, that we can walk away from our past where we have rebelled against you and are hopelessly lost, and that we can be saved, we can be forgiven in you. And Father, we thank you. Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, please be with us during this hour, during this time, that that we look at your word and and, and read your word and speak your word and and study your word, that, Father, everybody here, including me, would have open eyes and minds and hearts and, and that this word would change us and that we would be different people in how we live for your glory when we leave this place. We love you, Father, and we thank you for giving us your word. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. The majority of our sermon will be in Matthew chapter 8, if you want to flip there in your own Bibles. Of course, I will have it up on the screens. Starting in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, I'll be reading the majority of it, and then we're going to talk about it. Follow with me. It says, when he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. We're talking about Jesus. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing. Be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So what has happened so far? Jesus has healed a man with leprosy, right? Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Starting in verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleaded with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. He said to him, Am I to come and heal him? Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I tell you that many will come from east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus told the centurion, Go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that very moment. So what do we see here? First he healed a man with leprosy. And next we see that Jesus has healed a man and he didn't even have to be there. He just said the word and, and shazam, healed. Now, one thing I want to point out, it said that Jesus was amazed at this centurion's faith. You know, only two times do we find that Greek word about Jesus, that he was amazed, twice. Once he was amazed at great faith the centurion's great faith. And once he was amazed at their lack of faith in his hometown. But so far we have seen Jesus heal a man with leprosy, an unhealable disease at the time. And again, we see him heal, not even being there. Verse 14, Jesus went into Peter's house and saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever So he touched her hand, and the fever left her. Then she got up and began to serve him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. And so now we see him heal leprosy, we see him heal a, a sick man from a distance, and now we even see him do what? Drive out evil spirits. With a word, it said. Just with a word. Verse 18. When Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Lord, another of his disciples said, First let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now I just want to clarify, because I didn't understand this the first time I read it, and and just so y'all are sure about this. When Jesus said, Let the dead bury their own dead, he didn't mean let the dead just lay there and not get buried. He meant let the spiritually dead bury their own spiritual dead, but you come and follow me and proclaim the kingdom of God so that people may live. Just a little clarification there. Starting in verse 20, picking up in verse 23. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. He said to them, Why are you afraid? You have little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. So now what have we seen? We've seen him heal sickness. We've seen him heal sickness even when he wasn't there. We've seen him cast out evil spirits. And now... Even nature itself obeys Him. Verse 28. When He had come to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met Him as they came out of the tombs. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, What do you have to do with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time "'A long way off from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. "'If you drive us out,' the demons begged him, "'send us into the herd of pigs. "'Go,' he told them. "'So when they had come out, they entered the pigs, "'and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea "'and perished in the water. "'Then the men who tended them fled. "'They went into the city and reported everything, "'especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed. "'At that time, the whole town went out to meet Jesus.' When they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. And so instead of recapping all of it again, we're just going to add that no amount of evil forces, no matter how strong they seem to be, or how prevalent they seem to be, none of them even stand... What's A candle? Is that? Not stand a candle. Hold a candle. None of them even hold a candle to Jesus' power. Jesus not only has power over evil spirits that he can just speak them out with a word, he has power over any amount of evil spirits, any amount of evil force that comes his way. So here Matthew shows us that Jesus had powers that went far beyond any Old Testament prophet. Matthew talked a lot about Old Testament prophecy, and he's pointing out in this summation here in this chapter that Jesus far superseded any Old Testament prophet including Moses. Jesus could heal at will, even if not present. He had uncontested power over evil spirits, and even nature itself obeyed Him. Jesus had unlimited power because He was God in the flesh. He did, however, this is a point I want to spend a little time on, He did, however, limit His use of of His power in order to accomplish God's ultimate will, which was what? To die on the cross for our sins. Jesus did limit His use of His power as God. We start to see this in Philippians um, 2, verses 5 and 6. says this, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Now, that's the Christian standard version. Um, your, your translation may say something a little bit differently. That word, that Greek word that's translated exploited by the CSB means grasped or held onto." That's that image of something to be grasped, held on to. So what we're saying is, is the image of Jesus having that equality with God and letting loose of it. Something is not to be clenched and held on to and used for his own advantage, but just to be willingly let go. Um, letting go of all that power and omniscience that comes with it. Now, it does not mean he couldn't have used it to his advantage. What what does it mean to be God? He's all-powerful, right? He's all-present, right? Everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's all-knowing, omniscient. means He knows everything. It doesn't mean that Jesus couldn't have grabbed hold and used His being fully God, those things that are innate in Him. It means that He didn't. There's a difference. We see this in Philippians, the next verse. Philippians 2, 7, it says instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. He emptied himself. He chose to live in this world the way he expects us to live in this world. This is a very important concept to get. When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, He expected them to live a certain way to Him. He expected them to behave a certain way, to live a certain way, to show a certain amount of faith and trust and, and, and obedience to God. So when Jesus had to come and live that perfect life to be that example that Israel could not do, that nobody could do, when Jesus came to do it, He chose to do it in the same way that He expects us to do it. Completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit and God for what we need. That is crucial to understanding Jesus in the Scriptures. That's what we read about. That's why when we read about him being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days to represent the 40 years that Israel was tempted in the wilderness, we see that Jesus did what Israel did not. Israel did not depend on God to provide food and water for them, did they? But when Satan tempted Jesus to turn the stones into bread, Jesus did not. Now it's obvious from the temptation that Jesus did in fact have the power to turn those stones into bread. Who has the power to turn stones into bread? God. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus, it would not have been a temptation if He could not turn the stones into bread. That would be like me going up to you who is starving uh, somewhere and me telling you, look, if you are hungry, just turn the stones into bread. You would say, I would love to. Show me that secret. No, Jesus, it was a temptation because Jesus did have that power to do so. But He chose not to. Instead, He chose To depend on God because God had led him in the wilderness. Remember it said he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. God had led him into the wilderness and he trusted that God would provide him what he needed while in the wilderness. Because God had led him there, he trusted that God would provide what he needed while he's there. Which is what Israel did not. Israel knew that God had led them into the wilderness, but they did not trust that God would provide for them while in the wilderness. That's also why we read in Luke 2.52. says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. This is where we separate some of the Gnostic Gospels from true Gospels. Jesus increased in wisdom. That means He was not omniscient at that point in His life. Is God omniscient? Yes. Was Jesus omniscient? No. How was God in the flesh not omniscient? Because in Philippians 2, He said that in deciding to come to earth and live as a human, He did not grasp or hold on to all the things that made him God. Instead, verse 7, he emptied himself, taking on the likeness of man. He did not come out of the womb knowing how to talk, how to solve all of life's great, greatest problems. He came out of the womb as an infant who had to learn how to talk and read and write and had to learn, believe it or not, had to learn God's Word and memorize it and store it in his heart. He had to depend on the Holy Spirit for guidance and wisdom that's also why when we read the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years touched him and he turned around and asked who touched me he really didn't know who touched him he only knew that power had li- went out from him Mark five twenty-five to 34 says this now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said... I looked up and lost my spot. His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you. And yet you say, Who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. He was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Jesus, as God, had immediate access to unlimited power, but he did not use that power for his own advantage. He did not usurp his dependency on God and the Holy Spirit. That's an that's important concept that we need to grasp. He lived his life dependent on the God and the Holy Spirit to tell him and reveal to th- him things that he did not know. Why? Because that's what we have to do. As people who place their faith in God, who live this life not knowing the future, we have to depend on God and the Holy Spirit to reveal to us things that we don't know or we, just don't, we simply just don't know them. Jesus chose to do the same thing in order to live the same as us. To show us how to live this life. If the Holy Spirit did not tell him something such as who touched him, then guess what? He didn't know. If God wanted him to know something that he could not have known otherwise, then he depended on the Holy Spirit to tell him. Otherwise, he did not know. That is why he was both able to know the future and the thoughts of people that he could not have otherwise known because the Holy Spirit told him those things. But yet, still be able to truthfully, and keep in mind, Jesus never sinned and never lied, that's how he was also able to truthfully say near the end of his earthly ministry, Matthew twenty four thirty five and 36, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. Near the end of his ministry, Jesus said, just straight out said, didn't, didn't do a parable, he just straight out said, on the day that the, God puts an end to the world as we know it, and, comes, and I come back, I don't know when that's going to be. God knows, but I don't know. How can God know something, and he doesn't know something if he's fully God? Because Philippians chapter 2, he decided to empty himself, not take advantage of those things that he could take advantage of, And he chose to depend on the Holy Spirit to reveal to him anything he needed to know. And if the Holy Spirit didn't tell him something he needed to know, he just didn't know it. He lived this life and showed us exactly how he wants us to live this life. Did the Holy Spirit reveal to other people things that they could not have known otherwise? Yes, throughout the book of Acts, we read about all these prophets. All these prophets throughout the book of Acts, New Testament, they're saying things that they could not have known had, had the Holy Spirit not told them. The future. Jesus showed, this is how I want you to live this life. And he is not asking us to do something he did not do himself. Even though, as God in the flesh, he could have backed out of his choice to live and die as a human at any point. He chose not to. He chose to empty himself and be obedient to God, even to the point of death. Philippians 2, verses 7-8 through continue says, instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Did Jesus have the power to take himself off the cross? Absolutely. Did Jesus have the power to speak anything he wanted to into existence? He could have told nature what to do. He could have told the... He could have told the nails and the cross itself what to do, and it would have obeyed him. He could have told stones to turn into bread. He could have told those nails to turn into to food. I mean, he could, have, he, could have, he could have spoke anything he wanted to into existence, but he chose not to, which is why I say that Jesus hanging on the cross was far harder and far more difficult than any of us having gone through the same experience. Because the moment that those Roman soldiers would have taken us, laid us out on the cross, tied our arms down, drove nails through our arms and feet, and hung us up on the cross, I think at some point, any of us knowing that we could have said, be done, and all the pain would go away, and all the suffering would go away, and we would have done it. Jesus could have done it, and He didn't. That was probably the hardest thing anybody could have done. To know I can stop this at any moment, make the pain instantly go away, and he didn't. I couldn't have done it. I know I couldn't have. And I'm glad I didn't have to, because we'd all be in trouble. (laughs) He did not sin. He did not dominate others. He was completely committed to God's kingdom. He was completely devoted to accomplish God's will on earth and laid down his life for God's glory and God's kingdom. Matthew chapter 8 is full of Jesus' miracles and powers. We just read it. Full of things, miracles and powers that he did. Authority over sickness, evil, nature. But in the middle of the chapter, did you notice that something that just didn't seem to fit the rest of the chapter? He talked about miracle, 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 and then a call to follow me, and then miracle, miracle, miracle. Matthew inserted a dialogue Jesus had with those who said they would follow him, but didn't. Look at it one more time. Matthew eight eighteen through 20. When Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe appeared to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now I want you to look at the parallel passage in Luke. The same, the same conversation, but we're just going to look at it in Luke. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62 says this, As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky The sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. And what's the assumption under this? The person didn't follow Him. Jesus let him know, you're used to a lot of comfort. You're used to having a, a home that you can go home to every day. Not if you follow me. It didn't follow Him. He went on. Then He said to another, Follow me. You know Jesus called the twelve apostles to follow him and they said yes, right? Jesus looked a man in the face and called him to follow him. Jesus said, follow me. He extended the invitation to beyond those that we know of. He said, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He puts this command to follow him right in the middle of all of this telling us who he is. He is God in the flesh. He is the one worth following. He is the one you can trust. He is the one that has power over anything you could ever face in your life. And it's right in the midst of that He places this call to follow me. But when He does it, He doesn't just simply say, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. The way that this call is phrased in both Matthew and in Luke is It's people who don't follow. Jesus saying, "The things that you have to sacrifice in order to follow me." Robbie Gallaty put it really well. I want to just kind of paraphrase a little bit of what he said about this. He said, "Jesus is not looking for excuses. He's looking for disciples." who will give their lives for God's kingdom just as He did. That's what He's looking for. When Jesus calls you to follow Him, He's not looking for excuses of why you can't. He's looking for disciples that are just as committed to God's kingdom as Jesus was. How committed was Jesus to God's kingdom? More committed than anyone who's ever walked this earth. And that's what he's calling you to. That's what he's calling all people to. Whole life, completely devoted. Lay my life down, deny myself, pick up my cross, carry him, follow him no matter the cost because I'm devoted to see the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he's called you to. That's what he's looking for. People who are committed to his kingdom as much as he is. How committed am I to laying my life down for God's kingdom? You have to ask yourself that. I've, I've already asked myself these questions. I've really, I really hit myself hard this week studying this. How committed am I to laying my life down every day and following him? Am I looking back at anything? Jesus said anybody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for my kingdom. What am I looking back at? What, what do I have that I keep looking to, that I keep turning back to, that I'm not willing to let go of in order to really pursue God's kingdom wholeheartedly. What am I holding on that I can't let go of yet? And so I pray that my prayer and your prayer and everyone we know, I pray that this is eventually all of our prayer. To ask God to help me Be as committed to your kingdom as you were and to the role you have given me in it. Help me be just as committed to your kingdom as you were and are and to the role that you have given me in it. Do you know you are a part of God's kingdom? Do you know you are a part of his family? That you are saved? No doubt about it. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because I promise you, if you make that commitment to follow him with all you have, there is nothing you will face on this world that can stop Jesus from protecting you. There's nothing. No sickness, no evil spirit, no force of nature, not a Category 5 hurricane, nothing. If God has a role for you in His kingdom and you are willing to do whatever He's asked you to do, you don't have to worry about anything stopping you because God won't let anything stop you until the day He decides to call you home. You don't have to worry. You can say like David to God, You are my shepherd. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your ability to pull me back in close to you and your ability to protect me from anything that wants to devour me. They give me comfort. And therefore, I can walk through the darkest valley and fear no evil. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And that's what He's calling the world to. To give their life wholly, completely to Him and follow Him. Let's have a closing prayer. Father, we love You. And Father, we thank You. We thank You that You were first and foremost devoted to Your kingdom. That You decided to empty Yourself to not take advantage of all of your godhood, all the powers that you had, to let go of them for a short time, to show us what it looks like to live this life dependent upon the Father and the Holy Spirit, to be dependent upon you. You lived that perfect life and perfect example for us to follow. And you commanded us to follow you. Father, help us do that. Help us follow you with all that we are and all that we have. Father, shield us from the enemy, shield us from the world, and Father, shield us from ourselves so that we will stay focused and faithful to you and your kingdom for the limited time that you have given us here on this earth. Father, help us trust you. Help us depend on you, and Father, help us find our peace and comfort in you, knowing that nothing, if you are for us, then what can be against us? We love you, Father. We thank you for your love for us, for your coming to live a perfect life for us, for your dying for us, and for your rising from the grave for us. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen.